It's time for another BitMart AMA, a delicious, nutritious, informative, no preservatives, sometimes funny, sometimes laughable, but always informative, fun, and interesting BitMart AMA. My guest today is, I hope I'm saying this correctly, Lude, who is the ambassador of the Crust Network, and I actually love his Twitter account name, The Jesus Crust. We'll get to that in one second. We will say hi to him in one second. I've got a little bit of housekeeping to do right before we start this conversation. And that is that because you are listening to this AMA, you are part of an exclusive group of listeners who want to know information before it hits the market, as it hits the market, or, you know, you're just crypto crazy, right? So we want to reward you for that. BitMart is all about rewarding our loyal BitMartians for tuning into our broadcasts, for using our platform, and for just being great people. And so for that, for this conversation, we're giving away $500 in USDT to 10 lucky winners. And you may know the drill by now, but all you have to do in order to win some of that sweet, sweet USDT is go and find the tweet where we mentioned that we're going to be having this AMA, the link, the one that you used to get in here right now, retweet it, tag three friends, go and follow the Crust Network, who is who I'm talking to today, at Crust Network on Twitter. Show them some love. Take a screenshot that you've done both and fill out the Google form that we have attached, and you will be off to the races to win $500 in USDT for 10 lucky winners. So now, without further ado, I believe that I have Lude on here from Crust Network. Lude, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Thank you very much for the... Uh... Nice introduction. Today I'm joining you from Toronto, so I'm on your time zone. Um, usually I'm located in Germany, um, but yeah, due to the current uh, blockchain week in Toronto, I, I attended some events and um, joining the space from Toronto today. Nice, nice. And did I get that correct? Is your name your name is Lude? I got that. Usually I mispronounce guest names. It's kind of a running joke here. No, that's it's perfectly correct. Um, usually my my correct name is called Ludwig, which is on. Uh, very old German name, but uh, yeah, in the English-speaking community, everybody calls me Lud. So wow. perfect. I, I love that name, Ludwig. Okay, I'm gonna. You're gonna have to stop me from not calling you that. We'll I'll we'll call you Lud. Okay, we'll call you Lud for today, Ludwig. Wow, I love that. Okay, and you are a crust ambassador, and your Twitter account handle is the Jesus Crust. And I just thought I love puns, things that are clever like that. So I just wanted to give you some. Maybe you can hear it, some applause right here. There's some applause here for Lude for that amazing Twitter handle name. <laughs> thanks, thanks. Yeah, I tried to try to be a little bit controversial and funny at the same time, so uh, I think I hit it quite well. There you go. That it is. That's it. That it is. Slightly controversial, but still mostly funny. Okay. So we're here to talk about Crust Network, and I try and go into these AMAs, Lude, knowing just a little bit about it, but I kind of don't want to be the expert here or anything like that one i just have too much going on there's too much going on in the crypto world two nobody knows better about the projects than the ambassadors or the developers or the architects themselves so i know a little bit about the crust network but i'm going to have you mostly explain it you know during this conversation ask hopefully what i think are relevant questions and then towards the end um we could either take audience questions via text, like they could use a hashtag, or we can do audio where they can actually speak since this is a Twitter spaces. I've had good luck with both, and I'll let you decide maybe which one you want uh, towards the end. But 
that's basically going to be the general frame of our spaces here, just so you know. So, sound good to you? Yeah, sounds perfect. And um, as you already said, there's no need to have any prior knowledge about Quest Network. That's what we're here for, to uh, spread some awareness and to educate the listeners. Yes, exactly, exactly. I These AMAs are very educational, not just for the listeners, but also for me, because there's so much going on in the crypto world, crypto, NFTs, anything beyond that. It's uh, it's frankly too much to keep up with, but you gotta you gotta stay you gotta stay diligent. So, if we're gonna start off with the first question here, I'd love for you, Lude, and I'm gonna let you go on as long as you want to. I'll only stop you if something just seems crazy, right? If you're just like, "What? What did you just say?" <laughs> but um, I'm gonna have you at, uh, expl- briefly explain what is Crust Network, what's it all about, and maybe you know, since a lot of crypto projects and technology is new, what is like most analogous to Crust Network that people could maybe compare it to? Great. Yeah, I think that's a very good uh, question to start off with. Um, To keep it as simple as possible, I would say um, Crust Network is a decentralized storage layer for everything Web3. Um, so you probably know about Web3. You probably know that um, that we have consensus in Web3. You probably know that we're going to need some computing in Web3. And one big thing we're also going to need in Web3 to keep the um, data in the ownership of the user, to keep the integrity of the data and so on, is data storage. And that's exactly what we're providing with Crust Network. Um, in fact, we built on Polkadot's, Polkadot's substrate framework um, but that doesn't mean that we are limited to the Polkadot ecosystem. In the contrary, we already are integrated and connected with most public chains, such as Ethereum, such as uh, Polygon, um, Binance Smart Chain, Elrond, Flow, Near, And you also will be able to, to find um, the proper integration in their documentation. Um, so um, we already are connected with quite a lot of different different. Um, different ecosystems that all can use our our storage services for different use cases. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit later about the potential use cases, but in general, it's about yeah, data ownership, data privacy, data sovereignty, and um, immutability, obviously. Um, we believe that Web2 is, is broken for multiple reasons, and um, a comparable provider in the Web2 environment probably would be AWS, or uh, Google Google Cloud, Alibaba Cloud, and so on. And um, yeah, the the issue with most of those those um, existing solutions is that these are centralized solutions operated by centralized institutions in centralized data centers, which um, obviously don't fulfill all the uh, requirements when it comes to decentralization. Especially recently, we saw a lot of different, um, for example, DNS hijacks attacks because um, projects use centralized infrastructures like AWS. Um, and that's something we we wanted to try to do, to do better. Um, in the Web3 world, you could say we are comparable to Filecoin, more or less, because Filecoin also uses the IPFS protocol to offer storage services. And maybe for everybody who doesn't know, IPFS is um, one of the most used and most known distributed um, storage protocol out there, not just in Web3, also widely used in Web2. 
but IPFS on its own doesn't give you decentralization by nature and obviously comes with some flaws. The reason for that is, is because the, the IPFS network is not incentivized, which means it's like a BitTorrent kind of system where everybody provides his resources, his storage resources on free will. Um, but on the other hand, this when you want to upload some data to, to the IPFS, it doesn't give you any guarantee about how many replications are distributed over the network or for how long those node operators will hold on to your data because, as already mentioned, they have no incentives, incentives to do so. And that's basically what we are changing with Crust Network by providing a incentive service layer on top of this protocol, which means we directly connect miners and storage users um, via our protocol and our decentralized storage market to basically exchange storage resources on a P2P basis. Um, by doing so, the user can create a smart contract. He can set up for how long he wants to have his stored file on the network. And then via the smart contract, the user gets guaranteed that his file will be maintained over the specific time he wants it to be maintained and hosted. And um, so we have a direct, direct connection between the storage user and the storage miner and as middleware our protocol, and by that can cut out the the, uh, the middleman like AWS, like Google Cloud, etc. Um, yeah, that's basically what Crust Network is doing. I think it gets more clear when we talk later a little bit more about use cases, um, how we can use about our technology. Um, maybe one more information is that uh, about our network itself. Uh, our mainnet launched in September last year. And um, as of now, we have around 2,200 nodes that actively are providing storage resources to our network. And overall, we have a volume of uh, just below 1,000 petabyte of storage capacity. Yeah, that's a small introduction. Yeah, and thank you so much for that, Lude. I, I was going to let you keep going on as long as you wanted to because I was following you right there just like a train. Um, just chugging along. I'm so glad that you brought up Filecoin because I was trying to think of, as you were explaining that, I was like, who's their competitor? Like, who are they Who are they competing with in the blockchain space? And then I forgot Filecoin because I'm not into decentralized storage. I, I don't think I've ever used it before, but it's a great kind of segue into our next question here where we're going to talk about like, well, why would you want to use decentralized storage instead of a centralized um, storage provider like AWS, as you mentioned? And it's interesting because I'm actually on the Crust Network's website right now, just looking at some of their metrics while Lude was talking. And you've got some cool metrics down here at the bottom of the page where it says your storage capacity is 881,946.662 terabytes, which is quite a lot of storage. Um, the globally distributed storage nodes are 2,067, which is also a lot. Um, the real-time storage fee is many times less than a penny, and the storage orders that you have right now are a, they're a little bit above a million. They're like 1.2 million. So those metrics may not mean anything to anybody who is um, listening on the Twitter spaces. I just thought that they're interesting and relevant, and I wanted to ask you, Lude, like – you, I think you brought up that the reason why you'd use decentralized storage versus a centralized um, storage provider was, you know, it's harder to hack. Uh, maybe you want to store something that's not allowed on on th those sorts of centralized places. But also blockchain, a lot of blockchain stuff is about incentive systems, right? Why do miners mine? Why do people, you know, pay transaction fees? There's incentives for people to complete certain actions. So could you kind of go into 
why would somebody use Crust Network, which is a decentralized storage platform, rather than just paying a subscription fee and using like AWS or Dell or whoever's hosting a centralized storage provider? Yeah, sure. So um, you already mentioned the costs, um, just a few penny to host like a gigabyte over a longer period of time. And um, that's one of the major reasons. So our, our storage services are on average like 80 to 90 percent cheaper than traditional Web2 um, storage services like an AWS S3 server, for example. Um, and yeah, that's that's why we, we cut out all the, 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 the middleman like um, all the work that's usually handled by AWS, by a lot of employees, by a lot of like um, manpower intensive work process, um, all those nice glass front buildings that has to be paid for. And in the end, the customer's paying for that. And we, we cut all of that out and substitute this, this big institutional middleman via a few lines of code, to put it simple, to that you that you directly interact with the, with the mining operator. And this um, basically gives you like a very, very cheap rate to keep your storage um, up and online and accessible. But um, next to the classical cost-related advantages, we also have a lot of technical um, benefits when choosing decentralized storage over centralized storage solutions. For example, we talk about um, redundancy. Um, our protocol cross network, for example, gives you a specific amount of replications distributed over our network by protocol, which means um, you don't just have one copy somewhere and maybe one mirror or backup uh, at another place, but on average you have 20 to 40 replications of a single file distributed over the entire network. Um, this is beneficial in multiple reasons. First of all, um, it provides you with a better performance because like a BitTorrent kind of system, our um, network can um, yeah, proceed data from multiple sources at the same time, so you can retrieve data from yeah, several nodes at the same time to increase the performance. Um, you, for example, have a higher latent, uh, uh, yeah, a smaller latency because uh, with a higher replication, the chances that a node holding to holding this file which is close to you is higher becomes higher, and also for security reasons. Um, and I actually, if we have the time, I want to mention an anecdote from uh, from the nature and how nature is actually using decentralized storage to prevent cancer. And uh, maybe we have time for that. That's just maybe two minutes. Lude, um, we, we definitely have time. I like my guests to feel welcome on these AMAs, and I do not rush. <clears throat> I do not rush anybody for anything. I, I only... I only say that we don't have time if you have a hard out. I'm fine. <laughs> okay, then uh, let's get quick, quickly into this. Um, so how does uh, nature prevent cancer by using decentralized storage? And the uh, very interesting thing is that the human DNA has a gene that's supposed to prevent cancer by detecting cancer cells in a very early stage and fighting them. And the human has exactly two copies of this gene. And if one of those copies get compromised, is mutating for what reasons ever, then the chances that you suffer cancer over your lifetime is quite high. And mostly even several times in your lifetime if you survive. Um, on the contrary, we found that elephants are some of the animals with the lowest rates of cancer overall. And we actually found that the reason for this is that is that the elephants um, possess the same gene like the human who is supposed to prevent cancer, but instead of two copies, it holds 40 copies 
of this file or of this gene, of this information. So um, it doesn't matter too much if one or two genes mutate or get compromised because you still have 38 other genes that tell your system, hey, this is the right information and not this one. So um, that's like a really cool example how, how decentralized storage by redundancy actually can, can prevent cancer in nature. Just a small excourse. Wow. Yeah. That, is, that is definitely super cool. When, when you were saying that uh, the reason why elephants don't get cancer, first thing that came to my mind is, well, they eat a lot of peanuts, and I was reaching for the peanut butter in my pantry, and then you said, no, it's about the redundancy in the file, and I just threw the peanut butter down. So, yeah, it would be a little bit too easy, I guess. <laughs> would, well, there, wouldn't be, there would be no peanut butter uh, left in the grocery store shelves, I'll tell you that. No, that's fascinating. That's so fascinating you bring that up, redundancy. Um, you know, and it's obviously you brought up like the higher level stuff about why you'd want redundancy in a system, especially for file storage. Me, practically, as I think we've all had this experience, no matter where we are in the world, as long as you've used a computer, you've been writing a Word document or something like that, and you have neglected to save it even the first time, and um, something happens to it, or your computer shuts off, and you lose it. And just that basic function of, well, if you'd had redundancy, if you'd had multiple copies of this, one in the cloud, one on your desktop, one on a USB drive, nothing could ever hurt you when it comes to losing a file or losing something that was important to you in storage. And so that's a very basic level of like why you'd want redundancy in file storage. But that, you know, now when you bring that up, I'm thinking about something uh, uh, about like if you had a startup and you had – you know, legal documents or you had, you had stuff that was really important. Of course you'd want redundancy in that system because if you were to lose that stuff, especially in our all digital world, sometimes it can become difficult to, to get back. So. Yeah. And um, exactly single point of failure events, um, like, like you described, like you have your stuff stored on one machine and this machine goes down or on one server at AWS and the server is not available due to a, energy outage or um i mean i'm here in canada i a lot of people told me that like you know a couple of weeks ago there was a huge outage here where internet service provider wasn't working for 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 weeks partly and um, yeah this is this is due to the um single point of failure infrastructure um centralized um yeah storage providers usually are operating on um, they have, they have, as already mentioned, one centralized data center where your data is um, stored at machine X, Y at like the, the, the drive uh, A, B, whatever. And um, if this specific location gets destroyed or if we have like a flooding a fire or whatever, then your data might be, um, yeah, not, 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 not available, not accessible, in worst case gets destroyed, might get compromised, and so on. But when you have um, 40, 40 files of those um, data replicated over the entire network, then like it doesn't matter if one or two nodes go down because you still have 38 others um, stored somewhere else. And the protocol also will make sure that like the, um, the, the, uh, like, like these missing copies will be uh, replicated on some other new nodes that you always have like a... Uh, a high high number of replications 
and um, also this also prevents for example um, a lot of security breaches because by having multiple source uh, multiple files at the same time you can um, verify those files with each other on the network and if, if if one of those files basically sends out uh, a hash that doesn't match up with the others then you know or oh, there must be something malicious and um, so it's it's a very secure secure way to actually store your data to keep your data accessible all the time and to yeah, reduce the, the risk of any kind of single point of failure event centralized infrastructures um, might expose you to. Yes, that's exactly what I was trying to get at. The, the, the uh, point, single point of failure. That is exactly the phrase that I was searching for. You could just use that analogy in so many, so many things in life. You know, you, you're always cautioned against eating, you know, eating a single food, right? It's not good to just eat one food all the time. Having a single investment, hey, like even though Amazon's doing well, don't put all your money in Amazon, diversify, redundancy. So I think that that is a concept, like you mentioned um, with the elephants. It's a concept from nature that works because there's something intrinsically um, good about it. Or perhaps there's just something intrinsically uh, more complex that is beneficial to us. So what I kind of want to get at next is... Um, what are the full suite of services that the Crust Network offers? And then I definitely want to talk about, because you were eager to talk about the specific use cases, like maybe getting into the nitty gritty of, we kind of have the broad level overview now of, okay, it's decentralized file storage, there's redundancy, we've talked about why that's well, but like, what are, what is the whole suite of services that Crust Network offers? And then what are some like specific use cases that we would want to look at? Yeah, sure. So um, overall, Crust offers uh, multiple layers of services. So on the one hand, we offer the infrastructure layer because we have our own network, like you already said, with um, around 2,000 nodes and um, almost 900,000 900, ter terabytes of, of storage capacity. So this is like an infrastructure we are providing. You can compare it like an infrastructure as a service. But also, um, we, we don't just stop there. We go further and actually provide services on top of our infrastructure. So um, you almost can compare it like Airbnb, like where you have an apartment and you want to rent it out and make money from it. In the same way, you could see like, oh, I have this hard drive here on my computer and uh, I don't need it, so I can rent it out. And um, and that's um, the services basically we offer and facilitate between the user and the and the storage provider. Um, so with this service layer on top of our network, we can um, we we provide different gateway services to IPFS, which means that you can upload your data to the IPFS network without installing a local node um, for yourself. Um, and we offer different IPFS pinning services, which, which means that we make sure via smart contract that the data is stored on our nodes. And this can be applied for different use cases. Um, the three most popular use cases for our services at the moment, I would say, are the uh, hosting of decentralized applications. Then it's NFT metadata storage. And we are talking about general um, encrypted file storage. Maybe I can go into detail for all of those little uh, for all of those use cases a little bit. 
um, decentralized hosting of applications. Um, I mentioned it's like a really good use case because instead of hosting your, your, your front end via AWS, again, where you're exposed to single point of failure events like DNS hijacks, DDoS attacks, um, outages, what so not, um, you can prevent all of that by hosting your website on Crust Network. Um, then the NFT, metadata storage, is also a very, very interesting thing. Um, when we talk about NFT, most people talk about the, the token on-chain, which guarantees you the ownership, which, which uh, makes it transferable, and so on. But the NFT itself, actually, when we look deeper, consists out of two parts, which is one, the NFT token, which we just talked about. And on the other hand, we have the um, metadata, which actually is the PNG file, which is the MP3 file, or whatever you want to, what, whatever data this, this NFT is made of. And um, unfortunately, most of this data is still stored on centralized infrastructure, um, which again exposes it to, um, to single point of failure events, which might get compromised, tempered with, and so on. And if we are talking about NFT collections worth millions of dollars partly, then um, do we really want to have this, this data stored on centralized services? Because the NFT token in itself is worthless without the data behind it, and the data is worthless without the token. But for some reason, we only talk about the decentralization of the token, but not about the actual data. And that's something I feel the, the crypto market still has to wake up to a little bit. Um, everybody is, oh, especially like last cycle, we saw a big hype for, for NFTs. Um, but the security of the NFTs and um, ownership and, and all of those kind of principles are still very neglected when we look actually into the, the projects itself or if we look behind the curtain. Um, this is also very troubling because um, most most links, when you look in the, the minting contract for smart of NFTs, then you can see the link of where the data is stored on. And when you have, for example, a link that points to an AWS instance, then um, there is an issue with that because the link itself will stay the same uh, in the contract, but the content behind the link can be changed in worst case by AWS if they don't uh, adhere to their terms of service or what's, whatever. Um, they theoretically could change the content behind the link. So in, next time you want to pull up your ape, you don't see an ape, you see some kind of elephant. Um, and um, that's something that shouldn't happen at all, especially when you're talking about assets worth of millions of dollars. And by storing your, your, your metadata, for example, via our network, pinning it via our network, um, you will make sure that you are in full ownership of your NFT, that you have sufficiently enough replications throughout the network to permanently store it there and to permanently keep it accessible and assured. Um, yeah, that's for the NFT. And then the other use case is um, yeah, general, general file storage and general data storage on IPFS. We cooperate with multiple different companies um, that, that, that use this kind of services to store any kind of data, mostly if it's like um, medical data or if we're talking about big um, pictures from satellites and so on. Um, that's typical use cases people, people um, store yeah, data via our network with. Fascinating. I loved how you brought up, um, you know, you don't want to get your, something happened to your ape um, or, or your elephant. Why, why aren't there elephant NFTs yet? There's always, it's apes 
it's dogs, and then sometimes it's kitty cats, but then the animals stop in the crypto world. That has nothing to do here with Crust Network. It's, I'm just thinking out loud here. So I find this interesting because the way you're describing um, the decentralized file storage here kind of reminds me about how when people criticize Bitcoin and they say like, oh, it'll just get shut down, you say – well, yeah, but in order for it to get shut down, it have to suffer a 51% attack, which gets very gets more difficult on Bitcoin by the day. Um, and so if, if like, basically, when you have these, when you have this fi- these files that you're storing decentralized on the Crust Network, if somebody were to, say, be malicious and they'd be like, well, we know that there are, I don't know, there are board apes or the information, this metadata on the crust network, they would have to do the same thing, correct? They would have to start like a 51% attack, but then you would, somebody would be aware of it and you'd just say, Hey, we can't, we can't do this. And the nodes would either have to reorganize, you'd have to pivot, but at the same, but at the same time, it's, there's no single point of failure. Am I getting that correct? Um, 50%. (laughs) So, um, so, so with this 51% attack you just mentioned, this, for example, could be comparable to, um, the use case of DAP hosting when we talk about DDoS attacks. That's, for example, um, that's something that would be comparable to, to a 51% attack. Let's say if the, if the bandwidth of all nodes together hosting this file is smaller than the than the bandwidth of this or bandwidth used by this attack, then you could basically um, yeah perform a DDoS attack, and this makes it quite simple if you just have one server hosting your front end. But if you have forty server hosting your front end and you get forty times the bandwidth basically, then it's way harder to basically DDoS attack. Um, your front end of, of, of your DeFi homepage, let's say. Um, but uh, the, the data, the data once it is on the IPFS network, it basically can't get changed at all um, because um, the IPFS network is a network that addresses information or addresses yeah, information via its content and not via its location. Usually we address information by the IP. That gives us this, this, the, the, the space or the, the location where the data is stored on. Um, with IPFS, it's different. We don't have a IP-based um, addressification of content. We have we get for every content we get like we get like a unique number which we call CID. That's a content identification number. And um, via this CID, we can always um, yeah, address the, the correct file, and the CID only can get um, yeah, handed out once. So you can't just use the same link and put like another file behind it. You have like the, the, the smart contract in this case always points to the specific CID, and the CID can never be changed. It's, it's immutable by nature on the IPFS network. And um, even the node operators themselves who host this specific file are not able to change or to manipulate this file because um, the integrity of the file is guaranteed by a um, local security mechanism, TEE, which we use. Um, it's, yeah, it's an alternative to zero knowledge, for example, to put it simple. And this basically is a mechanism that runs in the local CPU of those servers, which um, yeah, guarantees the integrity of the file. So n- not even the node operators themselves who hold the actual file on their physical machines would be able to touch this file in any kind of way. Gotcha. Thank you so much for explaining that. I'm still kind of new to uh, 
IPFS. Um, I was tr- I was looking at it briefly here while you were talking about it. Um, fascinating stuff. But I I I know I'd heard the acronym before um, in relation to decentralized um, storage, but I it just had gone over my head. There's so many acronyms floating around in there. So what yeah. what I'm getting what I'm getting at though is that the like you said, 50, 50% of what I said was right. So it's, there's an incentive to use these decentralized storage networks because with as the active users grow up, like you said, the bandwidth increases, it gets harder for anybody to do anything bad or malicious. So that kind of, that kind of segues to my next question about how many active users do you estimate you have on Crust Network right now? And you know, could, I, could I go out and try it myself right now? Very good question. Um, indeed, we already we already have some some very major industry leaders that are using cross network for different kind of use cases, to um, for the um, hosting of decentralized applications. We already integrated with uh, Uniswap and with Avi, who already are using cross network to host the decentralized version of their front end. Um, so those are yeah, if not the biggest players in the DeFi industry um, for for um, NFT metadata storage. We, for example, are operating with different kind of um, NFT marketplaces, for example, with um, Remark. Um, it's the largest, the largest NFT marketplace in the Polkadot ecosystem. Um, they store their NFT metadata via cross network. They um, have the possibility to verify the um yeah the, the the nft metadata and so on via our network and also for the general file storage um i already mentioned earlier we partnered with um pharma companies who are, for example store medical pictures like mri scans cat scans on crust network um but we also we also provide end user friendly applications um which you could try out yourself which would be Crust Files. Crust Files is basically a decentralized Dropbox um, for the Web3, and which can be used by yeah pretty much anyone because we we, we enable logins via multiple wallets um, like MetaMask via different networks like also Polygon, Binance, Ethereum. Um, so I'm pretty sure if you just visit CrustFiles.io, um, you can um, you can just connect your wallet to our app like you would connect it with Uniswap or to any other um, decentralized application. And um, the cool thing is, because we use Web3 authentication uh, mechanisms via your, your wallet, you don't need to have any kind of registration process. You need, don't need to put in your email address, your password, any payment information, all of that um, you can avoid. So that's another reason why we why we provide privacy, and not just by our storage itself, but by our entire um, user experience and um, yeah you can basically just uh, drag and drop and upload your files to, to to the to the user interface it will um it will sign your wallet you will uh, or you will have to sign your wallet and then the the file gets uploaded to the network you get like an overview of how many applications are on the network w- which nodes are storing your file and you also can um, use that to share this file via a link 
um, you can encrypt it, client-side encryption, for example, we offer. And um, we also, for example, have a pay-to-download function, which is quite cool, which means if you possess a file, a document, let's say a PDF, which you think is valuable, then you can upload it to Crustfile. You can say, oh, I want to sell this for 0.1 ETH, and then you can share the link. And if somebody pays this 0.1 ETH, uh, ETH, he can actually download your file. So it's like a pay-to-download kind of functionality. And um, yeah, all of this was a very easy um Easy, easy and intuitive uh, user experience, and um, yeah, that's something you you can you could try out yourself. I could definitely be interested in a decentralized Dropbox, um, considering that I don't even have a regular Dropbox now. So that could be helpful to me, most definitely. I also wanted to congratulate you on having Uniswap and Ave as partners because those are that's no small feat. I would definitely say that those are big players. So it's always nice, you know, you don't want to look at a project solely on who they've partnered with, because sometimes people can, you know, pay to play or do stuff like that. But, you know, if 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 Uniswap and Aave are giving you the go-ahead to trust their data and trust their storage, then I don't see any reason why an individual user couldn't. So... Yeah. Indeed, indeed we already uh, integrated or partnered with more than 100 Web3 projects. Wow. Huh. Yeah. So you are, you're definitely, you're firmly in Web3 now. You're not just saying it as a marketing term. You are out there doing it, which is exactly. what I liked, which is what I, I love to hear. The reason why I love talking to crypto projects is one, they're just, they're always so hopeful. Um, everybody, you know, because it's such a dynamic and interesting space, you always meet super interesting people and everybody is always like problem focused. I feel like is what they're like, this is a problem. And it, it's it it's such a problem that I wanted to start an entire company to solve it. And you're like, I just, I love that energy. I love being around that energy. So I think I have two more questions and then we'll open it up to audience questions because there's definitely something that uh, I'll be forgetting or that I haven't asked or that I'm not aware of. Um, and so sure. real quick, I'm going to ask these, uh, actually, you know what, three, but the third one is a super small question. It's just one I've been wondering about since the beginning. Um so could you maybe talk about the potential market size for decentralized cloud services? Because when I, when I think of, when I hear you explain all this, I think, oh, this is great. Lots of people are going to be using this. And then I have to dial myself back and say, well, the government's probably not going to use it because they want to use a centralized service. Um, a company of like a certain size, they might want to use like a centralized service or develop their own. But then after that, I mean, that still leaves quite a significant market. So what do you think is like the potential market and use case for this down the road? Um, yeah, very, very good question. It's something we think about uh, quite often as well. But um, I feel when, when, when you want to answer this question, it's, it helps to look at what's happening now. How did cloud develop in the past? What's happening or what happened over the last 10, 15 years? And before joining Web3, I myself was involved with a... Um, yeah, medium-sized uh, Web2 startup in cloud computing doing software as a service. So I'm quite aware of the the, the movement of the cloud and how it developed. So um, and even when we look at the current market situation, some of the most revenue-strong companies in the world are actually infrastructure provider for um, cloud services like AWS, etc., um, I think 60 up to 70% of their revenue almost comes from their comes from the AWS business, the cloud business, and um, the same numbers probably apply to Google, etc. 
Um, so it's it's a, it's a really hot market, which as of now is basically distributed among three to four players. And um, at the moment is around, I think, 300 to 400 billion dollar in market size. But the interesting thing is that um, the cloud market is expected to exponentially grow over the next 10 to 20 years. And we're talking about um, yeah, growth rates of aggregated and averaged like 23% over the year, which, which is quite high, especially if we consider that like cloud is not something really new. It's something that's already established. And such growth numbers we usually don't see in established markets. Um, the reason for this growth is, um, or the, the, yeah, the most, the biggest driver for this growth is probably the increasing demand of data um, we have in this world. So uh, we, we, we collect more and more data. In, in fact, um, the amount of data in the world is doubling all two years. Every two years, the data, the data in the world is doubling. Um, so it's like an exponentially exponential growth in terms of uh, demand of the uh, data demand and um, also we rely more and more on this data for example let's talk about internet of things let's talk about um, industry 4.0 let's talk about cyber physical systems autonomous driving and so on all of this data especially let's stay with autonomous driving if we want to feed the car with specific information and we want to make sure that we don't crash then we have to make sure that like this data is 100% immutable 100% safe um, is distributed over multiple yeah, servers in the entire world to not just um, have single point of failure events and suddenly we have like uh, huge crash scenarios on highways, etc. Um, or the, the 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 car, your Tesla can't read the stop sign anymore because like somehow the the the, the file is compromised in the database where it's stored. And so by so by nature, I would say decentralized storage is needed for a lot of use cases in the future where we have to rely on the integrity of the data because yeah we are just so much dependent upon it and this um yeah this this responsibility i think is way too high to just give it to one central institution to manage all of this data and um, i believe that the market is going especially for those kind of new applications is going to it's going to move towards web3 cloud storage and web3 storage services for exactly that reason and uh, when we started back then with our Web2 company and our software as a service business and tried to approach traditional companies, um, everybody was worried about the cloud. Um, nobody wanted to have it. And it was really hard for us to actually sell our services to businesses because they weren't familiar with it. They were skeptical. They didn't know where their data was and so on. But um, 10 years down the road now, over 60% of all business applications are running via the cloud. And I think the same will happen to actually decentralized cloud. I think decentralized cloud over the years will slowly substitute the public cloud in the same way the public cloud substituted the local uh, on-premise storage. And um, yeah, so by 2030, I said in the beginning, as of now, we're sitting between 300 and 400 billion dollars market size and by 2030 we are expected to be at around 1.5 trillion dollar market size and um, for me it, it's not a question how how strong the cloud market is going to grow over the future because that's something that's quite easy to be forecasted um, for me it's more how much of this cake can uh, decentralized storage get basically 
Um, but due to the, the different use case I mentioned uh, earlier, I think, um, yeah, decentralized storage will make up uh, a lot of percentage of this entire market size in the future. And it is really fascinating how you talk about that we don't usually think about an established market having room to grow. But this is almost because decentralized storage is essentially the next evolution of the cloud, like you've been talking about, it's really less of an established market and more of like a, a almost like a traditional market where it's like, it's, it's kind of the same way that you look at like, Oh, well, why will electric cars eventually like outsell gasoline cars? And you're like, cause just eventually nobody will want to use gasoline cars anymore for, for just a whole host of reasons. So I find that fascinating to think about. And then you are so correct on the need for data to be stored in random places. <clears throat> Sometimes I think about, like it almost keeps me awake at night, about how there's data being generated now that just 10 years ago not only didn't exist, we would have never thought to collect. And my common go-to is with like all the smart kitchen appliances, right? So like you, you, I think you had a better example when you're talking about like preventing highway deaths by using car data and things like that. That data is super important. But I think about like, the data that like smart toasters collect about like how long you cooked a piece of toast or when you turned it on and like how those are sent to some place to legitimately improve the technology. But about how if you told somebody in the 19, you know, 80s, even like not that long ago that you're like, oh, yeah, your toasters can collect all this data and it's going to make the perfect piece of toast. They would just look at you like you're crazy because they would have been like, how is the toaster going to collect data? But it adds up. It all adds up. These little micro pieces of data. Um, I think you said that the data in the world doubles every two years. And so it does kind of seem like it will be the natural evolution that you're going to almost have to use a decentralized cloud service. Like there's, there, there might not even be enough space on some of the centralized platforms. So it's just something that's making me think right now um yeah very well said and um uh, it, it goes even further like like by you say collecting this data yeah what happens usually with this data it goes to to the big corporations they sell it downwards to, to other companies to tailor the advertisement even better to you and so on and um, when we talk about decentralized data storage, we don't just talk about um, redundancy, security, a single point of failure, etc. We also talk about ownership. So um, the, the, the Web3 overall is like a, an environment where a lot of things are incentivized and where people for the first time have actually the, the possibility to monetize their data. But to monetize your data, you first need to own it. And... Um, for example, later on, I, I could see it. It's not that we that we uh, planned this now or have it on our roadmap, but in the future, I, for example, could see that you could collect your data, store it secure in your own ownership via cross network, categorize it via some mechanisms, and then sell it yourself to bigger corporations. You want to know how I use my toaster, to what time, how often, and so on, because you want to improve your products. Buy it from me. You know, so this 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 enables us to to think even more services and verticals down the road. I completely agree. Wow, could not agree with you more. It, it, it sounds silly to say, but as you were explaining the ownership of data, there, I thought, yeah, it's just it's exactly like how you know when we talk about Bitcoin or um, uh, Monero giving you privacy 
and power over your own money, you know, the fruits of your labor, we're increasingly moving into this era where all the information about you, the information that you're interacting with, the systems you're interacting with, that is, I mean, it's literally commodifiable and it is worth money. But if it's you creating that data, why don't you have ownership of it? So I completely agree with you there. And I, I think that's that's an interesting thing to bring up. We would be talking for another hour or two if we go down that tangent. So I'm going to try and I'm just going to try and squeeze in my last uh, two questions here so that we can open it up sure. to listener questions. So, sure. Lude, I think we neglected to talk about um, the tokenomics of the crew token, which I know is on Polkadot. And I wondered if briefly you could talk about because the whole reason we're talking here is that you're listing crew token um, on BitMart and people it will be available uh, soon or it's already available. I need to check that real quick. But um, I think it's already available. So I, I wondered, crew token, um, the tokenomics of it, anything that people need to know, you know, limited supply, unlimited supply, it's on Polkadot. I'll let you explain. Yeah, yeah sure. So um, our, our CAU token is this, is we have basically at the moment um, our token on our mainnet, which you just listed. And um, we have our token on the Ethereum network. I think you had that listed before, or you still have it listed. Um, yeah, um, overall, at the moment, we have around um, 22, million, 22 million tokens um, yeah, handed out or distributed. Um, and um, we obviously have some mining rewards for our storage provider. That's our inflation. The inflation is um, getting reduced over specific periods. For example, now in September, we're going to have our first reduction, uh, reduction of, uh, of token supplies for the mining process. And obviously, we have like a quite high inflation in the beginning to, to attract uh, miners, to attract storage providers to join our network. But over time, um, we, we expect with higher network utilization to, uh, or the miners not to be dependent upon the purely blockchain rewards for validating and for staking, but more um, making their revenue by the actual storage services where they get paid directly from the user. Um, overall, we uh, have a, um, an, uh, yeah, an, an infinite supply but um, we have different mechanisms in place to burn our tokens, for example, a specific, specific rate of the transaction fee and so on contributes to burns. So our goal is actually to cap it at 40 million with our burn mechanisms, which means we already have around yeah, 55% um, of our tokens right now in circulation, whereas uh, a lot of tokens are, are still like... Um, yeah, staked. Some people see that as circulating, some people don't. But I counted towards the circulating amount. So overall, like around 55% of all tokens are distributed. Um, and the, the the major utility for the token is obviously the um, to to pay for our transactions fees of the network. Then it um, the token will get used in our um, POS staking mechanism um, to to secure the network. Then the, these actual storage fees, when you want to store your video file on Cross Network, will be paid in the CIU token. And for example, our miners also hold a specific um, amount of collateral in CIU token um, that, like, yeah, 
which we can punish them with if they're not, uh, let's say, providing the, the needed uptime, etc. So um, that's the security for the, uh, from the node, node operators. And um, the CIU token gets actually used for our governance voting mechanism. So we have quite a lot of use cases for, for our token. And um, yeah, I think, I think at the end, the inflation will be 1.2%. Um, but again, um, yeah, this 1.2% inflation, we're going to uh, match up and balance out with our um, burn mechanisms that we will end up at around 40 million token. Sure. Yeah, and thank you so much for explaining the tokenomics there. Uh, of course, now... Um, especially in the around the world, when people hear the term inflation, they think of it as a bad thing. But I just like to remind everybody here that there's actually lots of crypto projects that have inflation built in. The one that comes to mind is Monero. Um, it has a tail end inflation so that you continually incentivize the, the miners and uh, make sure that people are incentivized to do what they're supposed to do. So don't let the word inflation there freak you out. Lude has done more than enough to explain all the use cases of the CRU token. And of course, you know, it, as the network grows and more people use it, the crew token can be swapped for whatever you want to on the secondary market through Uniswap, through BitMart, through other places that it's listed on. So it looks like it has a lot of utility cases. So thank you so much for explaining that, Lude. One You're last welcome. question, and then I will then I will open it up to uh, listener questions here for a bit. I've been wondering this since the start of our conversation about why it is called the crust network, because I don't, when I think of the word crust, I have two very positive associations. I think about making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and taking off the crust, um, which I personally, <laughs> which I personally don't do. I like the crust, but I, I, it's a positive association that warms my heart. And then I think of a kind of more funny association where I think of the crust of the earth, which obviously we all love because it keeps us from falling into a pit of molten lava. So, but that's what comes to mind when I think of crust. And so I'm just wondering from kind of a marketing perspective or from a, just a curious perspective, how did the name crust network come about and why is it called crust network? I'm just insanely curious. Yeah, no, no, that's uh, absolutely right. Um, I would say your, your your second your second association already hits it quite close you, when you think about the crust of the earth. So what we basically thought was um, we're talking about the cloud, and when you consider the the clouds as a as a layer, then the next layer beneath the clouds is the crust, um, and that's what's basically what we are doing. We are providing the infrastructure or the fundamental layer for the cloud and. When you look at our atmosphere, then you have the clouds, then you have a lot of air and nothing, and then there's the crust. So basically, the crust is sitting right beneath the clouds. And um, yeah, basically, that's what we're doing. Ah. We, we, are, we are providing the, the crust, the infrastructural layer to put the cloud on top of it, to enable the cloud. I see what you did there. Cloud, crust. Okay. Okay. Whoever, whoever, is the mar whoever is the marketing person who came up with that? Give them a raise right now. That's very clever. Um, I I wouldn't have gotten that though in like a million years. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Maybe, maybe maybe then it's not that good if if you wouldn't have gotten to it. <laughs> well, to be fair, um, you know sometimes I'm not that bright, so we'll just uh, we'll 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 stay with it. We'll stay with it. Okay. Yeah, and and another positive association or kind of matching association would be because um, our programming language is Rust. So and Crust and Rust 
Ah. It's not too far away. I also, I also wouldn't have gotten that, but that's not because that's just because I'm not a programmer. So you, you just have to sometimes bring up that Rust is even a programming language. I, I tend to think of Rust as the thing that I'm trying to avoid on my car right now, which is 10 years old. So yes, <laughs> but yes, it, it's, yeah. it's clever. I'll give it. I mean, I'll give you bonus points for them both being clever. Just because I didn't get it, don't don't make me the basis. That's that's a surefire recipe for destruction. So let's. Um, I want to. Get some questions from the audience here. So anybody who wants to ask Lude a question about Crust Network, you know, please raise your hand. I'm going to be looking at the Twitter spaces here. Uh, let you in to try and ask an audio question. I just wanted to lay down some rules before we get into that. Usually you guys are really, really great on Twitter spaces. I just wanted to let you know that, one, please speak in English. I only speak English. Lude may speak, may speak multiple languages, but I personally only speak English. So I can't understand you, and I can't help with the question if you don't speak in English. Two, please be in a quiet location so that we can actually hear you talking. Three, um, please only talk about uh, Crust Network or address questions to loot about that. Don't talk about like your own project or things like that unless it's in comparison. And then four, please just be rude. Please do not be rude. Sorry, be nice. Loot is my guest here, and I want us to have a productive conversation, asking him questions. Um, anything related to Crust Network. So if you would like to ask a question, raise your hand here. Give me the little heart. Um, I will try and find the next one here real quick. All right, let's look here. You know, real quick, Andrew, I don't know if you're listening if you want me to select speakers, you're going to have to make me a co-host. Otherwise, you have to uh, select them. My producer, Andrew, real quick, Lou. Yep. Do, do, do. One second. He's about to give me the power. All right, now I should be able to select people. All right, let's give this a try. So, Bright Investor, going to let you speak and ask Lute a question here. It should pop up in one second. Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, hey, you can ask Lude a question now. Hi. Yeah, all right. So um, I was I was going through your um, um, project, and I would like to know um, what are the sustainability plans you have put in place to ensure that um, not only for the short run, but for the long run, this project is being able to be sustainable? Uh-huh. Okay, very good question. Very good question. Um, so, so you want to know if the question is, uh, if the project is sustainable over the long run and, um, how we ensure that, is that correct? Yes, that's my question. Okay. Yeah. Good question. So, um, I think you already mentioned it in the beginning or at some, some point in this talk, but our network or the, the storage providers for our network basically have two sources of 
income or revenue. Um, one is the, the blockchain rewards from purely yeah, staking the tokens and validating the network as miners. And the other one is the actual revenue from storing the data. And we believe and see the real business happening on the uh, revenue side for the actual storage services. So um, in the end, we want our miners to mostly be dependent upon the, um, the revenue from their actual storage services and that the, the mining rewards uh, make up just a small percentage of this overall revenue. In the beginning, obviously, when um, the network utilization is not as high yet, uh, we still need to drive uh, miners to, to our network to be incentivized enough to provide their resources to our network. And that's what we are doing by providing a, a lot of um, rewards in the beginning because the utilization is not as high yet in the beginning, obviously. So over time, we expect the utilization of the network to increase. With the utilization of the network, we also increase the overall revenue for our network so that the, um, that the miners at the end maybe have like a 10% revenue via their uh, purely um, blockchain inflation, but 90% of their revenue will be made up by the actual services they provide and not just purely by the inflation of the, of the protocol. And um, that's how we, how we want to make it um, sustainable even in the long run. All right. Thank you very much. Sure. Thank you for asking that great question, Bright Investor. Next up is going to be Game with T. So hold on here one second, Game with T. I'm going to add you as a speaker. And we'll wait for you here in one second. All right. Game with T, you're on. You can ask a question to Lude. Hello. Good evening. Hello. Yeah. My question, please, can you tell us about your security audit? Um, yeah, we, we, we are audited um, by a, um, I think it's by a company of the Asian market. Um, I think our audit report can or is linked somewhere on our homepage. So all of our decentralized storage market and smart contracts and protocol is actually audited by a security firm. Um, yeah, and um, I'm not quite sure, but check our homepage or the documentation. I'm quite sure you will find uh, the source for that. Yeah. Came with T. Did that answer your question? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Yes. Crust.network is where you'd be able to find that information. Am I correct on that, Lude? That's correct. All righty. Okay, guys, let's try and take, mm, let's say, three more speakers, okay? Because at one question each, that's going to probably leave us at the 20-minute mark. And I can't keep Lude here all day. He's already been very generous with his time. He has stuff to do. He's out there in Toronto, you know, at the blockchain. Um, is it blockchain week or – I'm sorry. What is the what is the stuff happening yeah, it, in Toronto right now? Blockchain week? It, Did, Okay, yeah, good. It's official Canada Blockchain Week, but it's happening more or less all around Toronto. Nice, nice. Okay. OB Tech, I think that I'm going to let you speak next. So one second, and you should be up here in a bit. Okay. Hello, hello can you hear me? 
Hey, yeah, Obi Tech, you can uh, ask Lute a question. Just make sure to be in a quiet location. Yeah, my question is regards to um, your transparency and trust of the project. So what measure are you putting in place now to guarantee the, um, the uh, community has that trust and transparency in the project? Sure. Obi Tech, could you, could you mute yourself real quick? Sorry. I, I believe it's a little bit hard to hear her, Lude, because um, she's probably not in the quietest location. But I believe that she was asking um, what are the transparency protocols in um, <clears throat> what are the transparency protocols so that people can have trust in the project? Is that correct, Obi Tech? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, gotcha. Lude, so if you could talk about maybe the transparency or audit mechanisms or the reason why people would trust Crust Network, that is what she'd like to know. Yeah, um, first of all, everything we have is open source, so everybody is, can feel free to, to inspect the code if um, they don't trust it. Then, uh, as already mentioned earlier, we have the um, security audit, and um, then, um, yeah, obviously, we provide a lot of different tools, um, like our Block Explorer, um, Subscan, etc., IPFS Scan, etc., where users can um, look up everything that's happening in our ecosystem. They can follow up every metrics our network is providing. And um, we're also like um, providing a, a open community program where we actually yeah, want the community to get involved with the project more closely um, and where they also can, um, let's say, uh, have an impact on, on the development of the project itself. And uh, we try to provide as much transparency as possible. Did that answer your question there, OB Tech? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you very much. Perfect. Thank you for asking the question. All right, three down, two to go. Um, let's see here. I think Demas, I'm going to add you as a speaker. And we're going to let you ask Lute a question here in one second. Hello. Hey, Demas. Yeah, you can ask Lute a question now. All right. Thank you very much, Nathan, for letting me ask me some questions. Hello, Luke. Uh, very good explanation. And this is my first time uh, seeing this kind of project, the true. I'm kind of new for the, the utilities and etc. That's one thing for sure is that the cross network provide the better data storage for uh, some people or mostly people, for, especially in the web space. Right? So I just want to ask regarding this, uh, as people that uncommonly seeing an utilities like the cross network provide, uh, how the team or how the cross network team would do some, I don't know, some educational plan or some, except, uh, except like an AMA with a bitmark like this, because this is also an educational plan. But uh, I'm just curious about what is your next educational plan to get more awareness for other people, especially the people that doesn't uh, already in this AMA or in bitmark especially in Bitmark community, so that we can get more people to enjoy the cross-network utilities that they provide and also from for the Bitmark ecosystem. So, thank you. 
Yeah, um, good good question. Um, obviously, like you mentioned, the um, infrastructural issues of Web three are are not are not hyped yet, if you want to say it like that. Um, I feel like it's pro infrastructure is probably also not the most sexy topic, um, but it's definitely something that's needed and which is fundamental to Web3. And um, we, we actually try to raise awareness by, yeah, by, by, by cooperating with more and more ecosystem, by um, putting a lot of articles out there that educate about the issues of current uh, Web2 infrastructure, but also the, the events that are happening at the moment, like we saw um, I think the curve, the curve uh, front end recently got compromised a week ago, where we saw more than five hundred thousand dollar in uh, user funds um, getting compromised. Um, we had multiple other different, yeah, UI or or, or UI related um, security breaches on uh, DeFi DApps, and that's something that that easily can be avoided with cross network. And I think slowly people are waking up to to the issue overall. When I follow Twitter, might be because my Twitter algorithm is already biased, but I have the feeling that more and more people actually um, wake up to the to central in, to the to the central issue of um, yeah having our decentralized applications still being run on centralized. Um, infrastructure and the same with NFTs and so on. Um, so I think the, the the time and the events that are happening are helping us in some way, but also obviously we're trying to actively push forward from our side um, by yeah cooperating with, with bigger name events. I think next week we have, for example, an event with Chainlink during the LA Tech Week. Um, we held in April a large hackathon with Polygon, where we had 400 participants building um, applications based on Polygon and uh, cross network. So we we try to do quite a lot to um, help builders, developers, to offer a alternative to traditional Web2 services, but also on the end user, um, yeah, or also for the end user perspective, we try to provide them with alternatives like cross file decentralized Dropbox to easily try out our service um, in the most most easy way to onboard them to see that like Web3 can feel like Web2 and with, um, plus the additional benefits. And um, yeah, that's something we, we how we try to create awareness. Wow, that's awesome. Web3 to become how people can get to Web3 based on the Web2 experience, right? Hope that will be uh, get into the futures and yeah, thank you for your explanation and also I'm um, thank you very much for Nathan and also my team for having this awesome space for us. Thank you very much. Of course, Demas. Thank you for asking an amazing question. Um, I'm gonna remove you now. Here we're getting towards our last speaker. Okay, because I can't keep Lude here forever. He's already been so nice and so generous with his time. I know that he has to get back to his life. His life is not BitMart and Nathan as much as I want it to be. You know, real quick comment here. Lude, you said that infrastructure isn't sexy to talk about, but I would just dispute that a little bit. If anybody, if you've ever driven on a non-paved road when it's raining or your electricity has ever gone out, you realize how sexy infrastructure can be. Just a little quick comment there. 
Blessing Bay, you are going to be our last speaker to ask Lou a question. I've approved you here, and you'll be popping up in one second. Blessing Bay, you're there. You can ask Lou a question. Hi. Hey. Yeah. My question is, do you have an ambassador's program? And what are the benefits? Um, sure, I can answer that. Um, yeah, we have an ambassador program. In fact, we call it Open Community Program. Um, it's something you can join via our Discord. Um, that's where it's running and where it's organized. Um, you can yeah, verify your, your wallet, um, that we know you're your uh, proper person and then we can um, basically or you can get involved with multiple multiple different activities we for example have a content guild we have a developer guild we have an operational guild um, where you can contribute with different activities and tasks you can um, if you have a great idea how we can uh, market cross network or create some awareness for cross network you for example can create a proposal you can explain what you want to do and how much rewards you would expect for it and then we vote on it internally if we um, support this proposal or not. But on the other hand, we also put out um, quite a few bounties. So when we have something in our mind which we want to get done by the community, then we put out those bounties. People can apply on it and um, yeah, can get the job to, to get rewarded for it eventually. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Blessing Bay, for asking a great question. I'm going to remove you. From the speakers now, and going to do a little housekeeping, and then we'll say goodbye to Lude. I'm sorry that we can't get to all of the questions. I'm great. I, it's it's always heartwarming to me that there are so many questions. Um, the the only real solution to keeping these AMAs going on longer is I don't know. Maybe you guys should email Bitmart and say we want the AMAs to go on two hours or something like that. But you know, once again. Lude, this is not Lude's job. He has to get back to Crest Network. He has to get back to Blockchain Week. He's been very, very generous with his time, um, of which, like Bitcoin, there is a limited supply. So a little housekeeping before we say goodbye to him. Just remember that if you've been listening to this AMA, you've gained valuable information, not just from those audio listeners that popped in who asked great questions, but of the hour-plus-long conversation that I had with Lude where he really went in-depth to the Crest Network, explained decentralized storage, um, explained why redundancy in file storage is good, that, that, that elephant comparison, um, and just kind of really went deep. These, these conversations are recorded for that exact reason. If you want to listen to it again, it will be here on Twitter, or you can go and listen to the BitMart Podcast Network, where I'm going to archive it on Crypto Conversations. These are always interesting conversations for me, and I find myself listening back to them because you, you don't just get to download all this information at once and know it. You have to kind of go back through it. A lot of these things are, you know, technical. And for something like IPFS, which um, which I was aware of, you know, just hearing Lute explain it and prompting me to go look it back up, there's probably 10, maybe 20 of those moments in this conversation already. So I would encourage you to listen back to this conversation, learn, and, of course, Check out the Crust Network at Crust Network on Twitter, crust.network online. But if you've been listening to this AMA, you're part of an exclusive group of listeners who want to know information before or as it happens. And of course, Bitmar wants to reward you for that. So 
if you want to win some of that $500 in USDT, we're distributing it to 10 lucky winners. And all you have to do to be in the runnings for that is retweet the link where you found this spaces, tag three friends, go and follow at Crust Network, show them some love on Twitter, take a screenshot of you doing the both, and fill out the Google form attached to be in the runnings for that sweet, sweet USDT. So now we're here at the end. I'd like to thank Lude from Crust Network for being here, being such a good sport, and just explaining stuff so well. Lude, thank you so much for being on the Spitmart AMA. Yeah, thank you, Nathan, for hosting this this great event. Thank you for your team, uh, to your team at Bitmart, for making this possible. Um, it was was a really cool event. I like talking to you. Um, really interesting questions from the community and and your listeners. Um, I hope I could create some awareness, especially for the decentralized storage use case overall. I think it will be huge in the future. And um, if you if you want more funny facts and market insights about decentralized storage and maybe some more detailed information about Crust Network, feel free to follow my Twitter account at Jesus Crust, and uh, you will find a lot of a lot of cool funny facts, like the <laughs> elephant fact, for example, we talked about. That's content I put out there. Yes, how could you not follow a Twitter account at the Jesus Crust? <laughs> I love that. I just Crust Network, Jesus Crust. And you've heard him explain, he just goes into depth during this conversation. So once again, I'd, I'd go and re-listen back to it and maybe follow, listen to it while you're on the website or while you're looking at the Twitter account so you can really follow along. But since we have nothing left to discuss here and Lude has been such a good sport, I will say goodbye to everybody out there in crypto land. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Hello to everybody out there in crypto land. Did you enjoy that conversation? I know that I did. It's always interesting to learn more about crypto projects, NFTs, and what is going on in this very unique industry. But now we've got to get some legal stuff out of the way, all right? It's just the way that it is. So I wanted to let you know that all opinions and actions expressed and undertaken by the hosts and guests are individual opinions and actions and do not reflect the views and actions of Bitmark. Bitmart does not guarantee the accuracy, applicability, reliability, integrity, performance, completeness, or appropriateness of this content. The value of digital currencies can go up or down, and there can be a substantial risk in buying, selling, holding, or investing in digital currencies. You should carefully consider whether trading or holding digital currencies is suitable for you based on your personal investment objectives, financial circumstances, and risk tolerance. Bitmart does not provide investment, tax, or legal advice. Use of BitMart services is entirely at your own risk.